Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Stardom Road Podcast here on the Countout Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Scott Edwards, and with me is my co-host, as always, Trent Brewer. Trent, how are we today? I am so good because we are right in the crux of five-star season. It's happened. First show has happened and can you believe the results that we saw he says not acting like we have we are recording before the first show actually happens womp womp uh i'm happy to be here today i've heard a lot of good feedback about the shows so thank you everyone who continues to listen to stardom road i think i think people are starting to figure out we're a history podcast we're not a you know we're not a current there's plenty of current podcast despite the fact our last episode is regarding the most recent thing that we've touched on so far sure sure but hear me out it was worth it it was it was was. worth it uh and today we're going to talk about the cage match between queen (laughs) and i thought that's next year that's next year we'll we'll get to that next year what's the best (laughs) cage match of all time uh it's not blood and guts i'll tell you that right now uh i went there so i could say that um Anyway, only, only people who are in the arena can have an opinion on blood and guts. Hey, hey, you know, I just said it wasn't the best cage match of all time. I didn't say it was bad. Um, anyways, let me continue here. Today we are talking about none other than Mako Satamora and her run in stardom, which came at a very crucial time in mm-hmm. stardom's history. Uh, Trent will actually be taking the lead on this one today because. Fun fact, Trent did a little research about this for an article that he never released. So <laughs> if I say if I say that on here, maybe maybe he'll eventually release it. If not, you can just listen to this and you get the, maybe the gist of it. <laughs> well, look, uh, yes, like I'll, 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 I'll lay it bare. The original plan for this article started like back in January of 2023. I, I remember talking it, talking to Scott about it. I was like, oh, I've got this idea. I think it'd be really fun. And I get to research this by watching a lot of matches from this period, which, you know, these are some of the best matches in Stardom's history. And I was really excited to do it. And I got about halfway through the research and I got distracted as I am wont to do. And I just never got around to finishing it. So when we're talking about what kind of uh, topics we want to talk about on this show, Miko Satamora came up and was like, hey, all that research I've done, I can complete the research and I can put it to good use. Now, will it come out in written form? I'm going to say yes. 
I'm going to put that out there in the universe. And if you're listening to this in 2026 or whenever you might be listening to it, you can go into the archives of WrestleM and see whether I've made a liar out of my future self or not. That's the best kind. If you listen to the Ocean Cyclone show, you know we do that all the time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> not even just future selves. We, we confuse our past selves as well. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But I'm very excited to talk about this topic. Um, it kind of is timely because one of the matches takes place at Stardom X Stardom, which is coming up. Um, yes, yeah, see how I made that connection? Bravo to me. Um, I'm not going to sit here and admit we had no idea what we were going to talk about, but Mako Satamora was a good topic to dive into, uh, you know, because it is a evergreen content type thing mm. because I think a lot of people know that Mako Satamora was a former champion in stardom, but maybe they don't know why, how it came about, and how we got there. So I think this is what this episode will help you learn along the way. Yeah, and obviously, like, if this was a pure Miko Satamora podcast episode where we're looking at her history and her time in wrestling, it would be going for longer than one episode. You know, you sort of compare it to our Arisa Hoshiki or Hanakamura episodes, which they went for three. This is just going for one because we're looking primarily at Miko's time in stardom. Yeah, Which, that's why the title says that. Yeah, it's not that long. Even though she's been in Joshi for a long, long time, she's only wrestled 16 matches in stardom. And a lot of those came in a very important period in stardom's sort of lifetime in their run. And that's sort of the point of interest. Yes, she came in and wrestled in the first year. She wrestled the Night Takahashi. She wrestled against Yuzuki Aikawa. She had matches against Takumi Aroha back when she was a, a stardom trainee. But the main focus of this episode is going to be primarily that 2015 period when she came in and kind of really established herself as Stardom's final boss, came in as the overlord, dominated the scene, won the red belt. And what she did during this time kind of set up the next stanza in Stardom's history. Unfortunately, we do have to touch on a certain thing that happened at the start of 2015 because... Look, it is very. Yeah, I was wondering how long we could push off that conversation. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't have to go into deep detail. Like someday that, that we is, will. yeah, someday that, that will. will be the episode. I think. Gonna have to get um, a historian for that one. <laughs> yeah, people who were like, because neither of us were watching back then. You know, I wasn't watching back then. Scott wasn't watching back then. But it is interesting, sort of having seen what we happened. But it was the ghastly match at Jessica versus Yoshiko, and the aftermath of that kind of left Stardom bare. Yeah. You know, Act Jessikawa was gone, Yoshiko was gone, Nanai Takashi was gone, and the vibe surrounding stardom around that time wasn't great because of, you know, everyone leaving, the damage that that particular fight had on stardom itself. And so what they needed to do was basically start afresh and rebuild with the new image of what stardom was to be. And that image was the freedom. Now, Io Shirai was a former Red Belt champion, at this point in time. She'd already reached the top. She was already kind of one of their big stars. Kari Hojo had kind of established herself as the future of the company. And at the start of 2015, when that red belt was vacated in the aftermath of the Ghastly match, she would go on to win that title. She was kind of set forward as like the next person, the next face of the company. And then you had Mayu Watani, who was still a little ways off. But the crowd was firmly behind her, firmly believed in her, and she was showing that growth that was necessary. What you need in that situation, though, is someone to make 
these wrestlers to prove that they are main event caliber talent that you can they can lead your company forward. The choice that was made was with Miko Satamora. Would you call her the final boss? Well, I did allude to that. Yes, like, I, I think like, like WWE does. I, I actually think it's a very it's fitting a good term for this this entire year that she has in 2015, yeah. because like that's what she represents, and for. Io Shirai, Kari Hojo, and Mayu Watani to move stardom forward. They had to they had to complete this game. They had yeah. to beat the final boss, earn all of the coins that you get by beating the final boss and move forward. Now it is kind of funny because in all of this discussion about the freedom being established, only one of them actually beat Miko Satamora, and mm-hmm. she had already beaten Miko Satamora before 2015. Mm-hmm. But while that was that, hey, you won a match against her, 2015 was more about establishing, like, you are a made woman and sort of moving forward. I, I do want to just have this slight comparison before we mm. get into it. I, I do often, when I think of Mako Satamore and Stardom, I do think of Shuri and Stardom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't as rapid, obviously, but you think of the time Shuri came in, came full time after losing so many wrestlers due to one reason or another. Um, obviously, she wasn't just propelled into the world title. Um, you know, she wasn't in the world title picture instantly, but over time with COVID as well. And I think that probably didn't help by any means of getting her there. But I do draw the comparison to Shuri because I think we've, Shuri's the latest final boss per se, uh, persona in stardom. And I just like to put those two together because Shuri's run was pretty much what would Mako's run maybe look like had it been extended past the two yeah. matches. And if stardom was in a much healthier at, like stardom was fine. Like, okay. Stardom wasn't fine after all that happened in 2020. But they weren't where they were in 2015 when Mako no. came in. Yeah. That being said, getting a veteran like Shuri, who you know has just freshed off the UFC and stuff like that, that still helped a lot. So I do like to draw that little comparison. Even if it's definitely different, there's still similarities to the importance of both of them in trying times. Yeah, I think that the Shuri comparison is very apt, and it's kind of like what if Miko had joined full-time with stardom at this mm. time because she was still obviously with sendai girls this as i said 16 matches over her entire stardom run not 2015 her entire stardom run which goes from 2012 all the way to 2018 you know she spread them those matches out if she had been full-time with stardom i think yeah like the reality is probably what we've seen with shuri now do you get that basically two-year lead up to miko winning a championship in that situation Probably not. But I think also Shuri kind of had the benefit of not needing to be immediately rushed there because you did have Maya Watani established as your top champion, as an as the icon, as someone who could initially lead stardom through that rough patch. And they took the risk with Itami, it paid off, and then Shuri could kind of come into her own and you know, use two years of build-up. Whereas Miko arguably didn't need the build-up in 2015. Like, this is... Uh, probably her apex in terms of like pure popularity and skill, at least before joining the WWE and getting that global recognition. But in terms of just like within Japan, I think she carried that, you know, the veteran respect because she'd been in the industry for a long time at that point and 
you watch her matches during this time and they are probably the best that she's ever put on. Now, the match at the end of this discussion, which is uh, Io Shirai versus Miko Satomura at the end of 2015, for a lot of people were their stardom match of all time for many, many years. Like when I first joined uh, watching stardom, that was always the match people pointed to. Oh, you've got to check out that match. And even coming through into post-pandemic stardom, it's still a match that's kind of held up and revered. Of like, Look, obviously you want to see what the current wrestlers are doing. But that's a match you go back and watch, especially if you're coming in with a WWE background. You know who Io Shirai is, Io Sky. You you might have seen Miko Satomura on NXT or NXT UK. Here's why people were so excited when they were going over there. And this is look, obviously we'll talk about the match in a little bit more detail moving forward, but going back and re-watching this match in particular does give me an appreciation for why it was so revered. It's hard-hitting as hell. And the storytelling within that match, not only looking at the entire year that Stardom had at this point and the the Freedom versus the final boss, but just within the context of that match, is expertly told. Whether you are a massive Miko Satomura fan, whether you're a massive Io Shirai fan for that matter, I think they bring out the best of each other in both an in-ring and a storytelling standpoint. Yes. Uh, sorry, I was uh, I was in the middle of something. Uh, <laughs> you caught me at the worst possible time to stop talking. That being said, I think it's interesting what this all created in a lot of ways or helped stardom create, but we'll get to that towards the end. Mm. Uh, so I think we should just get to the beginning of all this now. Yeah, so as I sort of mentioned, like there is the Miko Satomura history leading up to this period, both within stardom and outside. The the two matches I think that are worth mentioning, just in terms of setting the scene, are, as I mentioned, Io Shirai and Miko Satomura had wrestled a couple of times prior to 2015. Once was in Sendai Girls, which Miko Satomura won. Once in Stardom as a pay-per-view show when Io was champion, which Io Shirai won. These are both in 2014. And then later in 2014, at the very end of the year, during Fortune Dream 2, we saw Kari Hojo and Miko Satomura wrestle as well. And that match in particular, I think, is a wonderful encapsulation of what was coming with this story. Because the Io Shirai matches are more like up-and-coming star versus established veteran, but they're presented on pretty equal levels. Miko's the more dominant wrestler, but Io is able to do a lot of great things to keep it even. The match against Kari Hojo was presented far more in what this freedom versus final boss story arc would represent, which is people just trying to survive against an indomitable force. Yeah, And it worked wonderfully in the concept of stardom kind of trying to renew himself with these fresh young faces in the in the adversary of what had happened. And then you get this overwhelming force and Miko Satomura come in and you know, she's running a rival promotion, Sendai Girls. And even though at this point Sendai Girls and Stardom were working, you know, they worked together a little bit. They had a co-produced show. There's even uh, footage when they went and trained together, which had some, if you ever get the chance to see the footage, it's absolutely hilarious when they're training together and then drinking together afterwards and doing karaoke. It's, it's fantastic. But like these are two promotions kind of lifting each other up, but they are in competition ultimately. This is a very cutthroat industry. And here comes 
one of the most dominating wrestlers in really the last 10 years of Joshi, I think is fair to say, as they were coming out of the golden era and trying to find themselves again. Miko's at the forefront of that. And now she's testing stardom's present and future. You know, you, you've established yourself as a company a few years in now. Where are you at? And look, Fortune Dream 10 was a great showing for Kyrie, but she got her ass kicked. You know, Miko Satomura came in, did her business, and proved why she is at a much higher level than Kyrie Hydra at this point in time. And again, good good timing with Sendai Girls and Stardom working together for the first time in a long time. Of course, Jiro Hashimoto taking part in the All-Star Grand Queendom show, facing mm. Shuri and Natsupoi very recently, heading over to Sendai Girls for their big Cork and Hall show in a nice 11-minute match with, you guessed it, Jiro Hashimoto. Um, I think when you think back to this time and think back to Mako standing, just from what I know of it, and I openly admit, I don't know all everything about the Joshi scene back then. I just know it wasn't all that great. Mm-hmm. Like stardom was still building itself up. Then obviously what happened happened and that, you know, sinks them a little bit, uh, you know, with the Yoshiko Akiyasakawa stuff. Like you said, Sendai Girls was big enough at the time um and this like you said coming off that golden era which at by the by now what 2014 2015 that was a decade and a half before pretty much yeah Yeah. so that tells you a lot of everything you went through obviously there's the word you know the likes of emi sakura and satamora kind of leading the way during that time kari onayama but otherwise, it's you know, it's a promotion like Stardom that's trying to build themselves up. So to think of how major it is to get one of those, you know, the last of that golden era to come in like Satamora, it's huge for them. It's why they went to her. Hmm. It would be like, I, I can't give you a present day comparison because Stardom's the biggest company, but it would be like if, I don't know, you send Shuri to save a Joshi company. Like yeah. or something like that. It, it's 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 hard to compare now because we are in a new age of Joshi where it's much mm. pop, more popular. It's not as popular as it was with AJW, but it's the most popular it's been since. Not even a question about it. Mm. Um, and that's still coming with the indies not being all that strong. Otherwise, it's really just stardom and everyone else. Even yeah. TJPW is not on that level. Um, I mean, just you look at the tickets and you know that. Uh, but I do think it's interesting to look at it like now and then how this point for 2014, 2015, how long it had been since that golden era and how, you know, stardom ended up being the one to build itself out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And they did need to use someone from the golden era, much like the indie companies continue to do now in many ways. They still lean on those people. Stardom has moved on from that. But they don't get there without someone like Satomura. And I think your comments on Chihiro Hashimoto coming in this year are actually, it's a great kind of example for people who maybe weren't watching during that time or haven't seen the matches, especially yeah. watching them from like a match-to-match critical standpoint because the way Chihiro Hashimoto came in to stardom, it's actually kind of eerily similar on a smaller scale to yeah. what Miko Satomura was doing. She came in and faced Mariah, who, especially at the time, was 
just about to win her second Cinderella tournament back-to-back. It's just months off becoming tag team champion, off becoming a wonder of stardom champion. She comes in and decimates Mariah in a lot of ways. Now, Mariah puts up one of her best performances as an underdog baby face fighting up against that, but Chihiro throws her around and beats her up. It's it's a lot like make what Mako did for mm. the freedom. Like I I remember when that match ended with Hashimoto, so many people came out of it thinking Mariah was a bigger star than per, before yeah. the match happened. Like they believed in her, they understood where she was coming from, and I think everyone was like, "Oh, this underdog role, this is so much better." Mm. That's what Mako did. Now, like you said, a lower scale because Hashimoto's not at the degree that Satomura was at the time. But Hashimoto, if you're a fan of the Joshi scene, you know that she is an unbeatable force. She doesn't mm. lose. She was just fresh off a seven like a thousand day reign as Sunday Girls yeah. World Champion. Who and she beat Shuri in that reign. So there was history there, enough to make you understand this is a big deal. So I, I am kind of happy we're hitting this now because while it's not the same, it is similar. Yeah, and the, the main difference is it's not the main event scene for Stardom. Right. This was the mid card. You know, decimates Mariah, makes Himika look kind of stupid in a lot of ways. That was an even bigger decimation match, and obviously Himika wasn't sticking around so that's probably partly why but then it builds to the shuri match at all-star grand queendom where in many ways she was defending stardom just like Io shirai had to step up and defend stardom when miko satamora was tearing through because by this point miko satamora was the world of stardom champion kairi hojo you know back in 2014 you know she lost to miko then won the championship in 2015 only had the belt for a couple of months only got a couple of defenses in and really it was one defense before miko started knocking on that door and any kind of security and confidence was put in the full test and much in the same way that mariah kind of proved herself as how valuable an underdog baby face she can be these matches against miko satamora firmly and look, Kyrie was obviously one of, she was already a big baby face star. In many ways, she was the most popular face in the company, even before the Miko Satomura stuff. But it solidified the role that she can play. And these two matches in stardom for the red belt, the first went to a draw. The second match uh, was Miko winning the belt. They do fantastic job of kind of having Kyrie have to fight from underneath, and she gets nothing easy during these matches. We talk about it as kind of establishing what the, the freedom can be in the future, but they weren't being handed this on a silver platter. They had to earn it through these matches because Miko Satomura comes from the old school of Joshi. If you're not sure whether this is going to look good or not, just make it real. Smack the crap out of your opponent. And Miko throws some ferocious kicks. The submissions feel like they've got the extra torque on. She is testing these young stars to make sure they can carry the industry moving forward. Nailed it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like In the end, she nailed it. Threedom goes on to be yeah. the greatest trio, not only in stardom's history, obviously, but the trio that led Joshi forward, the trio that brought us to where we are now, where we're celebrating Joshi more than anyone has in years. You know, it's it's a it's a trio that two thirds went to WWE, the biggest company in the world. Mm-hmm. Mako happened to go to eventually, 
But I think that is very telling. Mako made her deb- her WWE debut in the same tournament that both Kyrie and Io Shirai did. Not mm. the same tournament, but the the same namesake tournament, you know, the Mayon mm. Classic. Mm. And I think that's very telling. I think that's very telling. Like they pretty much were connected from here on out. Even if it's different, Mako gave stardom such a such an important crutch at this time. Mm. And it's led to you know the matches that we're going to talk about now. Yeah, and I, I think like if you ever get the chance, and unfortunately, like the matches we're talking about, it's very hit and miss if they're on Stardom World because it is from the era where not a lot of the shows are uploaded. The best match of the bunch that we're talking about, Io Shirai versus Mika Satomura, is probably the biggest missing match in the entire stardom archives. Like if you could put one match on there so people can watch, that's probably the match I'm asking to be put on, but these Kyrie matches are up there. So you can watch the draw and then the victory. And it is just fascinating to watch it back at this time, because it does feel just that little bit more raw, you know, the, the crowds that little bit more raw. It's not the slick polished uh, stardom that we know and love in 2023. It's just, yeah, it's a little bit more like it feels like it's just waiting to explode. And that's where Miko comes in. And yeah, she is testing and she is wrenching on Kyrie. And like, if you didn't believe her as the ultimate baby face before these two matches, you believe it now. Yeah, she's the indomitable force. And the beauty of this is like, Yes, she dominates both matches, but within those matches, Kyrie is forced to adapt and learn and improve. And even Miko has to learn because she should have won that first match. Goes to a time limit draw. She had the match won with minute to spare, but she's kind of like almost going, reverting back to the idea of rookies and veterans where I can pin you, but I don't want to pin you. I want to make you submit. I want to tap you out. I want to kind of, it's, it always feels a little bit more like in your face and insulting if you have to submit rather than just being beaten for a three count. And Miko spends a lot of these final five minutes working for a submission victory. And Kyrie holds in. You know, she, she could give up, she could lose a championship, but she refuses to. And that's what gets it to a draw. You know, Miko realizes it's not working, tries to finish it. But by the time she hit that uh, Death Valley driver, which was a finisher, it's just that little bit too late and the bell rings and she misses out on winning. And after the match, you know, she's getting in Rossi's face. She's pissed off because as a veteran, she knows she screwed up. She, she didn't finish the job. It's an incredible match. Um, I want to, I want to start that off because you, you feel the personal aspect of it, right? Mm. You, you feel the edgy aspect of it. And I, you know, this is one match that, um, when I was doing some retro reviews on my other show, this was like the top one because for some people it's their favorite starter match of all time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. interesting. So I go watch it, and I and I remember when it went to a draw, and I was just sitting there in shock because I was like, how? <laughs> Right, because you you watch, especially those closing minutes. It's like she won, but she couldn't. Like she she won, but she just couldn't get it done. And it mm. and it just does so much to build up Kyrie, right? Yeah. And it makes me sit there just thinking, 
it makes sense. Like, it just makes so much sense. And mm. obviously, I wasn't watching at the time. But, like, I don't know how you walk out of that not believing in her much. Like, obviously, people were believing her. And then, she, you know, mm. going into this match, we know what she is. Yeah. But there's a level to it. You know, you take on Satamora head on. And Satamora, 30 minutes of this match, absolute killer. Mm. And yet... She made it. Yeah. Yeah. She survived. Now, did she win the match? No, but she survived. And it, it, the beautiful thing of this is like, yes, it's not a particularly long reign for Kyrie, but like it, it A justifies two matches. She loses on the second match, but the first match makes her. If they mm-hmm. just changed the title over and had her lose by pinfall 28 minutes in, it's kind of like a, oh, but because she survives the 30 minutes and Miko is pissed and she wants that rematch and she wants to kind of avenge her own veteran mistakes, it just kind of raises Kairi's stock even in a pretty, you know, if it was scored on points, she's losing definitively. But that's not pro wrestling. You survive to the time, you get a draw. The draw can be used so effectively in mm. professional wrestling. I think people kind of sometimes... I think wrestling fans get upset with the draw way more than they should. (laughs) My favorite match in history, or one of my favorite matches in history, ask me on the day, might be my favorite, is the the big 43-minute draw of Utami Mm. and Shuri. And when that match ended, I just sat there in awe. I didn't sit there and oh, that's so stupid. It didn't go all the way. Because I already had the feeling of the draw. And then yeah. you got the restart, right? And it's like, alright, here we go. Draws can be used perfectly, and this was one of those times. It really exactly. was. If, if the draw carries the story forward, yeah. Yeah. then it's the right move. That Utami Shuri match, I think looking back on it, the draw was perfect because yeah. it told the story it needed to tell. Obviously, it set up the future matches, but that inkling in time, it told the story it needed to tell. And that's what happens here with Miko Sotomo and Kairi. It, I mean, it set up Shuri's uh, five-star final mm. perfectly, as we talked in the last episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, here with Kairi, Kairi was just such a great babyface because I don't think there's anyone better, at least that I've watched in a long time, that's better at expressing pain. And when I say yeah. that is, there's someone like Mayu who sells incredibly well, and you know she'll just like sell it like she's dead. <laughs> but Kyrie, like she has the perfect like noise aspect to it, where you're just like, oh, she's suffering, and mm-hmm. like you're just feeling awful for her. I saw her do it to perfection in WWE. That's why they signed her because because she was so good at that aspect. Yeah, you yeah. know it didn't need to be all promos for her. You could adjust and love her because she was able to sell that. It's why her and Shayna Baszler are such a perfect combo because it's like this. Shayna Baszler was a a fighter, a 
you know, someone who wrestles on top while Kyrie comes, you know, as the underdog. And it was perfect. And that's, they borrowed from this match 1,000% mm. in all mm. of their matches. Shayna was a stardom wrestler. Of course yeah. they borrowed from this match, right? <laughs> like, they perfectly borrowed from this match. And you could see it in points. And I, I like to make these comparisons for those who maybe are listening to this maybe months, years down the road. Maybe you are a WWE fan and you found stardom thanks to Kyrie. Well, guess what? You go watch this match. You're going to see a lot of comparisons. Now, did they do it as well as Mako and Kyrie? I wouldn't say that, but they did a great job. Mm. And it's the beauty of what Kyrie's able to do as someone who sells. Like you, you can feel she's suffering. It's and fascinating to art. look back at this era of Kyrie now. Yeah, because obviously, whenever Kyrie pops up in Stardom in 2023, she's the Miko Satomura. That's the role she's Funny essentially enough, she's playing. Up in Sunday girls too. <laughs> yeah, she's the veteran coming in, and basically any younger wrestler coming up is yeah. going to get their ass kicked. Just yeah. look back at what happened with uh, Miyu Amasaki. The whole story there was like, I don't think you're getting trained in the old school ways well enough. So when we step in the ring, I'm going to give you a little taste of what I went through. And what she went through is these matches with Miko Satamora. Yeah, who of course went through Guy Japan. Yes, which, <laughs> that was, uh, there's nothing quite like that, for better and for no, worse. No, but I think it's a nice uh, little, little way to toss that in there. Uh, but, of course, I, I'm, I'm, I remember watching this match. I've watched it a few times now. Mm. And it's just, it's, it is class in the way yeah. they executed it. It's one of the great draws I've seen in wrestling. Um, because, again, they use it to prolong the story, to continue the story. If you can use a draw to continue the story, it makes all the sense. And it's really a sign of stardom using the draw to continue a story time and time again. We just mm-hmm. saw it in the 2022 five-star Grand Prix with Julian Suzu, yeah. right? They use that to prolong the story. We'll probably see it with Mayu and Starlight Kid eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, like there's just ways to use the draw because it's a step in the right direction for the person who's able to force the draw. And it made the third match, the third single match between them, all the more kind of fascinating. Because obviously when they first faced off in Fortune Dream, Miko whooped her, just yeah. pillar to post. Second match, she was whooping her, but Kairi was able to survive. Now Miko knows, like, she can't play with her food. And you kind of sense that coming in. But at the same time, every time they face, Kyrie's just getting a little bit better. She's learning Miko's tricks. And so she comes into this third match, obviously probably terrified because, oh, no, she's facing, you know, this impenetrable monster she hasn't been able to solve. But, like, you can see the wheels turning. It's like, okay, if I can't beat her conventionally, how do I, what do I need to do? How do I go about it? And so she kind of takes the offense to Mika early. She slaps her. And, like, that's bold to do in this situation, to come out there and at the start of a match slap the person who's been whooping you. And, look, again, Miko ends up winning this match, but I think you see... Kyrie's improvement and strength and yes the the baby face indomitable spirit is there but she's taking it to Miko that little bit more with every match they have she's a little bit better and they would face off again not in a true singles match but as part of like a gauntlet series Sendai versus Stardom at the end towards the end of this year and that's when Kyrie looks at her best against Miko she looks just about equal level with her 
it goes to a 10-minute draw, they both get eliminated from that that particular gauntlet together. But that's kind of where this experience has come through. The third match, you see the inkling of that, but you still can't quite get the job done. Miko's come in, and at this point in time, yeah, she is now reigning supreme in stardom. She's the red belt champion. Yeah, it's halfway through 2015. They've gone through everything they did at the start of the year. The the baby face, the, the heart of stardom, Kairi Hojo, has won the championship, and now she's lost it. Sorry, in July, not June. She's lost it. And that's sort of when the question comes through of, like, what is stardom's future? Because the Sendai girls' owner, essentially, has come in and taken their championship. It's a great story to tell, isn't it? The outsider coming in and winning is a, I won't say well-documented story in wrestling, but it's one that they play to a lot. Mm. It's not always the person actually wins the title, but it's even the idea of the challenge, you know, the challenger having the shot to do it. I mean, one of my favorites, it's not even outside promotion, but the way they used it, and I'm going to go back to WWE, is when CM Punk won on the way out, right? Mm -hmm. On the way out, in quotation marks. He was actually on the way out that he signed, but you get the point. Like, it created a atmosphere of, uh uh-oh, like, what's going to happen? And that's what happens when Mako Satamora becomes your uh, World of Star champion. It brings eyes to the products, like, oh, she's the champion now Mm. and you're going to use her as the champion to put over your future win or lose and i think that's what stardom that's what rossi did so well in booking at this time yeah because like when you're talking about you know she's coming in and having those matches she only wrestles the freedom when yep. it comes to these title matches. She's not coming in and doing the, the little house shows or anything. Nope. It's Kurokan or nothing. Uh, she's not defending against, you know, rookie jungle Kiona or yeah. anything like that. It's it's the big it, next group. Your be- Here's your best example of present day day. It'd be if Mercedes Monet won the World of Stardom Championship. Yeah. That's, that's the only way you could do it mm-hmm. with stardom today. Um, yeah. And even in some ways, when she came and won the IWGP. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I mean, some people acted like that. I didn't because I was like, (laughs) whatever. Uh, She should be champion. But if she won the world of stardom champion only showed up for the title defenses, that's mm. exactly what Mako did. Yeah. Bigger and, scale, and... <laughs> but you get the point. Yeah. It served that same role. And look, Miko came in and it was a, it was a threat to everything stardom was trying to do. 
Because now, like, I can't, by the way. Yeah. What was that? Sorry. I just want to say, like, Mako was phenomenal in this role. Yeah. It's it, my it, preferred Mako outside of her getting absolutely destroyed by Akira Hokuto just to survive <laughs> and win because Hokuto can't stand up. But, like, it's the best Mako to me. The final boss character. Yeah. I understand why WWE did that with her. The entire image that Miko has cultivated over these past five, six years comes directly from this period. Yep. This is what truly formulates the final boss. I think a lot of her legacy comes from this too. <laughs> uh, yeah, because the, the reality is like I, a lot of people, you know, when you when Miko was coming into WWE, it's like, okay, what's she about? What do I need to watch? The matches everyone are pointing to were these three to matches. It was the Kairi match. It was the Io Shirai match. Obviously, the Akira Hokuto match is incredible, but people weren't really pointing to that. Now, A, it's probably because it's a little bit older and it's a different version of Miko Satomura. But like these are the matches people were pointing to, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, she ever since then, and maybe it goes before, but she's always been the person that is brought into have the younger talent prove against Hmm. that's literally her role in the biggest professional wrestling company in the world yeah she did that with roxanne perez for example like (laughs) they are doing that with her Hmm. that should tell you a lot yeah she carries this aura about her you know where it's like you see her come down to the ring and even if you've never seen her wrestle before and i can speak from experience yeah i before i'd seen her wrestle and then i watched a match of hers and i see her come to the ring and she's carrying herself with the robes and the garments and there's an air of dignity but an air of oh crap what's what's this person in for yeah it's it's difficult to portray when you're not going over the top with your character and miko's a pretty simple character she yeah she's not overblowing anything she just comes to the ring as she is but you just kind of sense you know it's it's like shuri when shuri comes to the ring you're like oh people are in trouble and you get that with miko satamora absolutely i remember i remember the first time i saw mako it was in wwe it was mm. my own classic had no idea who she was zero clue and I remember just being like, they were talking about how she's this legend. I was like, oh, she's old. And then like she makes her way down to the ring, and you're just like taken aback. Mm. You're like, mm. oh, oh shit, okay. And you know, she gets. I think she got all the way to the semifinals before putting Tony Storm over. More stardom. Um, Another and person she would have lot to do within stardom, especially absolutely. in the finals. And who would Tony Storm go on to beat? Io Shirai. <laughs> there's your there's your lead. In. It's just funny how like everything Mako's done connects to this. Yeah, yeah. at least since then, in a lot of ways. It's uh, it's it's just an example of like how important this period was for everyone involved. Because it's imp- yeah. as important for Miko, I think, as it was for Stardom. Oh, yeah. but like especially so at this stage, Stardom needed what she brought. It it should further the idea that Mako saw something in these three because mm, mm. this didn't need to work out this way yeah right she could have said no to rossi like <laughs> she didn't have to just say yeah i'll come and be your champion and then you know wrestle your three that you want to put over right she didn't need to do that mm, mm. she saw something in them it's not just oh i'll just do this favor no she saw something in them and you felt that each match yeah and and you really feel it in the Mayu Watani match 
because like we talk about final boss and i don't think there's any example in like a this is basically brock lesnar versus john cena if john cena hadn't established himself prior mm-hmm. in terms of just decimation but there's another event that happens right before that match which is worth mentioning because of how it connects and that is as i mentioned sardom and sendai girls were working together a bit during this period now obviously miko satamora is already established but a lot of the other wrestlers within sendai were still kind of building themselves up and you look at this gauntlet 12 person match and it's it's great to see the names involved. For Team Stardom, you had Io Shirai, Kari Hojo, Mayu Watani, Momo Watanabe, very early on in her career, Chris Wolf and Hiromi Mamora. Um, and Jungle Kiona was not in the match, but she was very heavily involved with kind of the build-up as well. Defeating Team Sendai Girls, which had Mika Satomura, Chihiro Hashimoto, who we've already mentioned on this show, Dash Chisako, Cassandra Miyagi, Mika Awada, and Sendai Sachiko which, like, you just look at what the next five to seven, eight years within both of these promotions, how important these names are. Now, obviously, Miyagi didn't stick around in Sendai Girls long-term. Obviously, Chris Wolf wasn't sticking around long-term and doing big things, but, you know, you've got Hashimoto, you've got Iwata, you've got Dash Chisako, Momo Watanabe getting the opportunity to really prove herself in the bigger than normal match for her at this stage because she's still very uh, she's the high school kid and not just the high school kid who's about to win the wonder of stardom belt (laughs) legitimate like softball momo watanabe yeah that's the that's the period we're talking about it would be like putting rena in the match exactly and it's (laughs) a high profile opportunity for them to kind of everyone involved to kind of get a chance to shine and prove themselves and you can catch bits and pieces of this match. I haven't been able to find the entire gauntlet on online. I've been able to find probably half of it through just because they split the matches up. Yeah. Um, it is fascinating to watch them all in this period, but like Mayu Watani is the one standing tall at the end of this. Of everyone in these two groups, it's Mayu that stands tall. And she gets this big moment for starting probably equal with her winning the white belt at this time for the first time in terms of importance for her in stardom, mm-hmm. maybe also the goddess belts with Eo Shirai, but like this is a huge moment for her as an individual. And then, you know, she's feeling inspired. She's defending stardom and she pokes the bear. And so her and uh, her, I was about to say her and Hashimoto. I, I want to see that match in 2023. Her and Satomura, face off for the red belt and yeah this is as brutal a just decimation of a wrestler in a high profile match as i've seen it is on par with john cena versus brock lesnar at SummerSlam. the hell of a comparison i think it's a perfect comparison it, it so it's an interesting comparison because like brock lesnar versus john cena was to put over Brock Lesnar. Hmm. I, I'm trying to think of like a match where someone just gets destroyed, but they get over in doing so. <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. It is such a unique situation. It is. It is. And it's more of a long-term game when you do it. Hmm. Right. Hmm. It's not. Uh, I, if you want to, if you want a current comparison, or a more present day comparison. Your best bet is the Unagi Sayaka match series. I think that's your best bet of yeah. like a 
series where she essentially gets beaten down the whole time, but she keeps coming back. Like mm. it's not coming back and having this offensive stretch. It's just not going down until she's had enough. Essentially, yeah. Um, those two, the matches with Julia and Mayu are ones that jump out instantly. Like those are the best comparisons to this, mm-hmm. except this was for the world of stardom championship against yeah. Mako Satamora and Mayu was already pretty popular, mm-hmm. but this was like, all right, let's put you into the next stratosphere because you're just trying your best to, you know, wrestle with the living legend. Yeah, and uh, as we talked about with Kyrie, like the importance of the match result. Now, yeah, she gets decimated here. She yeah, never like looked minutes. like it's not even yeah, it's not even long. <laughs> yeah, eleven minutes, and probably for nine and a half to ten of those minutes, Miko Satamore wasn't just in control. She was basically like you know playing with her toys, playing yeah. with her dinner. But Mayu Itani does not get pinned, and Mayu Itani does not tap out. This is a ref stoppage, which kind of, again, like similar to the draw, like if you use this well, it does a great job and it's a twofold benefit here. A, it it doesn't protect Maya in the sense of, oh, she could have beaten, you know, Mika. She didn't give up. No, she never had a chance, but she didn't give up. And it also puts Mika Satamara as ruthless because... As look, this is the weakest of these matches that we're talking about in terms of like overall rewatchability and match quality because it wasn't designed to be a five star classic match, it was a storytelling match. But the final minute of this match is as memorable to me as any other point in the matches that we're watching here today, where Miko just unloads with four roundhouse kicks, hits the Death Valley driver and immediately clinches in that sleeper very aggressively and rough. Like there's something so frightening about when it just twigs for her to, okay, I'm ending this match and not just ending it, but you know, ending Mayo Atani in a lot yeah. of ways. And it is a message 100% pure and simple to Io Shirai who's watching and then steps up to, basically, who, who knows what Miko's about. She's faced her twice before. She's beaten Miko before. But now it's not just about, oh, winning a match and winning a championship. It's defending stardom and it's defending her friends, which would become very important to the closing moments of their match in December. There is a... There's always been a... I always loved when you have a baby face who doesn't give up, doesn't tap, doesn't get pinned. They just don't have anything left. Like they left it all in there. And that's, that's just the result. You Mm -hmm. see a lot in submissions. It's, it's rare. It's a lot more rare to see like, you know, TKO type situation, but it's often the most effective. Mm -hmm. And what this did for Mayu is propel her to what we see is now Mayu, right? Yep. It's a lot of, and I keep bringing up current stuff because I think it's the best way for, especially if you're a new fan listening, mm. it's the Mayu that we saw in the match with Kyrie in the IWGP championship match in a lot of ways. This match with Mako helped build that. Yeah. That, re- that resiliency and, yeah, she lost, but she was still at that level. You want to look at the many Io Shirai matches. 
it was this match that got her to finally beat Io Shirai. It's it's things like that. She was always able to use use a match like this to build off of. And that's really, again, the whole story of Mako in stardom. Mm. It was to build off of with Doritos, whether it's yeah. what Kyrie would do, Mayu would do, or even EO, who was already established, but still benefited from this. It's a way to put them over the long term way. And again, Mako doing this was very important. Yeah. Every big match in stardom is a piece of a bigger puzzle. Even mm-hmm. if it can be a self-contained story, even if the match itself can kind of be one and done. The way they use these matches is all about building. And you're absolutely right. The match with Miko set up the matches with Io Shirai, which then set her up to be the icon of stardom, to truly find that role. And then to face off against Kairi, in you know the biggest stage of her career really at that point was you know in historic crossover the main event main eventing over Kazuchika Okada main eventing over Hiroshi Tanahashi main eventing over Will Ospreay you know these kind of big names who global icons but it is Mayu there and it's all come back to this kind of point and yes she got her ass kicked definitively but it works for her character, not work for her story at this point. Not only Mayu's story, but the grander story they're telling here. I love and then wrestling. it all comes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I just feel like I need to say it. <laughs> it really is a beautiful art form. Like it's it violent theater, and when it's done right, it's just it's why it's why we do this podcast because it's often done right in this company. Yes, and the other beautiful thing is. We can kind of pick and choose for a history. Oh content. yeah, we don't have oh, to yeah. cover we random talk about the history in twenty thirteen. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, we only cover the good stuff. Oh, only the good stuff. I mean, we're gonna hit you with some fun high speed stuff eventually. That'll be a lot. Oh, of fun. for sure. We've 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 pushed off a lot of high speed, but I'm looking forward to that stuff. And um, but let's let's finish this up before I guess we talk about future projects. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we want to talk about the good stuff in stardom. Yes. This right here is the good stuff. Miko Satomura. Yes. Before 2019, 2018 maybe, this ranks top five in the good stuff of stardom, yeah? I, I think that's underselling it. It's probably legit. Oh, I was top trying three. to be respectful here. <laughs> I was like, well, EO and Mayu's probably one. For a lot of people, this is number one. Interesting. Even even though, like, I think people might prefer the Io Mayu story, but mm-hmm. in terms of single match, this is. The oh, I mean, I just always. mean story. I mean, story. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Because the yeah. Mako story is a great one, and it's one that built them back up. I mm-hmm. uh, I don't mean matches. Matches is very different. Yeah. Um, but yes, you're right. This match, this match with Mako for a lot of people is number one. That match with Kyrie for people that I've talked to is number one from back mm, then. Mm. Things have changed now, but that's yeah. how great they were. That even to this day, even to like a year ago, I've heard it. So take that for what you will. Mm. Yeah. And uh, you 
it'd been a while since I'd watched this match because like it's one of those matches you see once and like it does stick with you, and then you kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember what happens. But seeing it unfold again, especially having because at the time I hadn't seen the full context of the story building up to it, it gives you a new appreciation for the story they're telling. Because yes, Yoshiro is established. Yes, she's a former World of Stardom champion, but she's very much fighting as the underdog character. And when you've come in to this match, having seen peak dominant Io Shirai, seeing her have to work up against the dominant force, mm. and not just like a strong wrestler, but an overwhelmingly dominant force, gives you a new appreciation for what she is able to do. Now, you get a lot of the classic Io moments. Yes, they go up to the upper half of Kurokan Hall. Yes, she does a moonsault <laughs> off of that little entrance part. It's it's contractually obliged. When she signed the contract with Rossi, every Kurokan Hall show, I must go up there with my opponent. Just like how stardom main events today have the ramp spots. Exactly, exactly. But important. it feels especially necessary in this match because it happens fairly early on. Mm. And it's only when Io is able to bring Miko Satomura out of her element, which is the ring that EO's starting to get combinations together and start to get some success because early on Mika Satamora is slapping her around. She delivers a now crunching roundhouse kick, which, and this is early in the match, which puts EO to the ground, sends her out to the ring, and she doesn't get back in the ring till the count of a 14 or 15. This is like within the first five minutes of a match. One move has her on the verge of getting those final seconds of a count out and yeah it's only when she starts to create that separation where she can use her speed and her agility and stuff but like the 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 classic eo spot feels out of necessity not because like oh i've got to give the fans the show that they're expecting but necessity to win the match and then as it keeps going on you see her getting her confidence and she no longer has to bridge like get the distance between them to start finding the advantage and you see the true eo shirai that we would very much come to know and love over the next year and plus you know near two years of a championship reign that starts starts on this show starts in this match that's the true form of eo shirai the quote-unquote final form of eo shirai truly gets discovered and built out of necessity in this match i think when you get a Neo Shirai that has to fight from underneath, I think it's very unique because we don't, mm. we're not used to it. Like if you're if you're a long time Stardom fan, or even if you learned Stardom through the Threedom, you're mostly used to the Neo Shirai who's dominant. You're mostly used to the Neo mm. Shirai who, you know, is the alpha. I think that's the best way to say yeah. it. But there's something very special about when she does have to fight from underneath. And I think when thinking about this match and right bringing Mako to the outside and stuff like that, I always think of the match with Hokuto that Satamora had, and they wrestle on the outside. And, you know, Hokuto puts it all out there, and ultimately Hokuto ends up losing. Mm. But you know, it's something that they work into this, and they work those bone crunching strikes into this that is very reminiscent of the old joshi way and that's what satamora really does it's it's a trial by combat in many ways for the freedom but eos at the point in her career where she can 
fight back. Mm-hmm. And it makes the match so compelling in that sense. It makes it makes Satamora seem like seem human finally. Yeah. Something that you did not feel in those matches with Kyrie mm-hmm. and Mayu. Mm-hmm. You didn't feel that, especially coming off the Mayu match, which was right before this. She didn't seem beatable at all, but EO and the way that she's able to control a match and, like you said, use her speed, just do everything to get her off her game outside mm. of the ring. It's 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 like David taking down Goliath. It's like the creativity to take down the beast. It's taking down the final boss, any means necessary. You ever play a video game where you take on a big boss in a big boss battle? It's a lot like that. Yeah. How yeah. can I, you know, do a little bit of here, there, and everywhere, do the littlest things to ultimately get the big takedown in the end and win? This it's is Doc exactly Souls. That. Yeah, there you wrestling. Go. There you go. Miko Sinamora just has to hit EO once. Yeah. And all of the momentum, all of the progress she's had gets cut back to the start. Mm-hmm. And I hate playing Dark Souls because I'm too impatient to, to learn patterns and stuff. So clearly I could never beat Miko Satomura, but Io Shirai is a gamer and yeah. she sticks at it. And, I mean, we talk about obviously Dark Souls and stuff. This is also like a movie. Professional yeah. wrestling is stuck in the awkward storytelling business of never finishing on the point when a movie would finish. Everything comes together, the person finally wins, and then you've kind of got to go back on and keep telling the story. Yeah. This moment, this final match, is the conclusion to a movie. It is very uh, fairy tale, Hollywood cinema. It's Martin Scorsese. <laughs> this is art. This is cinema. Because the way Io Shirai wins, you know, she survives Miko Satomura. She gets hit with the Death Valley driver and survives. Miko tries to combo them, but she gets out. She hits Mayuratani's dragon suplex. Goes to the top rope, hits Kairi's elbow drop. Goes back to the top rope and hits her moonsault. She doesn't win just with the Eo Shirai package. It takes the combined force of the freedom working through her to bring this momentous occasion and to win the match for her, win the match for freedom, and win the match for stardom. As I said earlier, I love professional wrestling. <laughs> it, it, it's 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 endings like this. Make another comparison. When Julia won the world title, right? Mm. It's like that. You know, you bring your you bring your friends into it, you bring those who you're supporting or respecting into it, and it makes for the ultimate completion of said match said moment um it it is like a movie in a sense and i know people you know today's current thing with the bloodline they're gonna freak out at me but like it is like a movie because you can tell the story however you want Hmm. and you can have that picture perfect ending however you want and it will feel it will make people feel in the end that's what movies do that's what that's what those types of things do like i understand when people say oh this is like a movie this is like cinema i know what they mean Mm. because you felt something yeah 
you felt something that wasn't happened to you doesn't you know you don't have a actual like life connection you just love it so much you love whatever is happening that you have that emotional connection no matter what and that's what you have with these wrestlers and eo winning like that is the ultimate cherry on top for this feud it's mm. i brought you with me you you two are why i'm here doing this let's finish this together even if yep. they didn't actually get to go in there and do it all together in many ways they did because that's what eo did to finish her off it's yep. a perfect conclusion to a perfect story that sets stardom back onto a path of super stardom and it's yeah, moving forward is when stardom really can finally find their legs because it's after this that the freedom truly become the dominating force that they are. They needed this obstacle to get over together because yes, it was Eo Shirai versus Miko Satomura at the end, but Eo uh, Kari is out there with her, Maya's out there with her. After she gets rock by the roundhouse kick in the first five minutes, it's those two who are there kind of cheering her on and telling her, "You got to get back in this fight. You've got to get back in there." And from there, the freedom blossom. Now, this isn't the end of the Miko Satomori story in stardom because, again, she, she's there for a couple more years. The next match is just three months after when she's in the ring with the same three people, but she's teaming with Kari Hojo this time against Thunder Rock. And then she'll pop up again and again. Like, for a couple of years, we just see her, like, you know, twice a year kind of thing. But the story that needed to be told, and this is why we wanted to focus on this particular year and th this particular story because it is such a complete arc. Yeah. Professional wrestling requires the story to continue, the the epilogue, the sequel that never quite lives up to the original. But within just this self-contained year, it is so essential because without this year, you don't get stardom in 2017, which then leads to stardom in 2019, which yeah. then leads to the stardom that we know now in 2023. You know, you say, like, it can't follow. This is where I brush back. It says it does because it uses it uses these moments for freedom of coming together and EO getting that win, and you kind of can work those emotions that fans now have from all this mm. into EO Shirai versus Mayu Iwatani. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Mayu getting turned on from EO and things like that. You just think of what they were, right? Tag champions, all this. You know, EO's fighting for her honor after she gets her ass kicked, right? Like, mm. that is what they did. And I think that's the, again, that's the beauty of pro wrestling in itself you can always go back to certain things and that's what stardom does better than anyone else in wrestling i don't care who you know you can fight with a wall i don't care they do it better than anyone else it it happens today with certain moments julia tam right mm -hmm. there's a long legacy there they go back to anytime they feel like it and you instantly know there's the mayu and starlight kid story that you just instantly know suzu and julia i mean that wasn't even their company and they went to that <laughs> right like they they're willing to go to anything in history to make something feel that much more important mm. and it's why you know five-star grand preseason it's why we sit here and we want the julia and Tommy matches because now we want to see their history 
be made because we're so used to other history. They have parallel histories where they've never combined. They've never intersected. That's unique for Star. That doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost always intersected one reason or another. And I think that's the beauty of stardom in itself. And you look at this Mako Satamore story, it creates, it creates so many different paths for wrestlers because it's about three wrestlers, mm-hmm. you know, Kyrie, Mayu and EO. If you said they were the three biggest women's wrestlers of the past decade, no one would question you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Obviously women's wrestling has changed in the world in some ways and not others to the point where there are wrestlers internationally popular, but at the same time, without this story, without what Mako did, without what those three went through, you know, Kyrie going to that 30 minutes, Mayu not giving up, not losing that way. And then EO coming through for her group it is a perfect story. It's one of the many perfect stories that Stardom has told, mm. but it's a perfect example if you want to go back in time and feel the greatness that you feel now. This is that. And it was one born out of necessity and desperation and from a low position. And like we've seen enough times now that Stardom, if their back is up against the wall, don't count them out. They can create magic. A but- lot of people... We're counting them out at the start of 2015 with what happened with the Garcia yep. match. And now a year later, they've got three wrestlers that would go on to become three of the biggest names in women's wrestling. They were owned by Bushi Road in 2020, mm. and so many people counted them out. They crown Utami as their next champion. That goes on to the Shuri match. That goes on to that. And now look at them. They're the second biggest company in Japan. You could say so much about Bushiroad helping. Yeah, maybe it helps get, you know, people in the door a little more, you know, because you get to sign certain wrestlers and you have a little bit more money. But it all comes down to telling the stories and booking. That's the one mm-hmm. thing Stardom has continued to do. They book to get people in the door and stay in the door because you get so connected to these wrestlers. You get so connected to these stories that you never want to let it go. It's why we are doing this damn show, right? We call it the Stardom Road. Mm. The road of Stardom has many stories, has many journeys, has many ups and downs. But that's why we do it. That's the fun of this. That's why we pick our topics. That's why we do all these things because we get to explore how we got to 2023. Mm-hmm. How we got to, for our money, the best promotion in the world time and time again. That's the beauty of it. It's why so many people care about stardom. And it's very prominent now that they're growing and growing and wrestlers are going international and things like that. I just want people to know that it's not that people want to gatekeep or things like that. They just care. They care about the wrestlers. They want them to be at the very best level. And there's, again, it can all go back to this Adam Moore story, right? Because it was pretty much a complete brand new reset. Mm-hmm. It's there's two there's two there's multiple eras to stardom. That one is one of the most important. 
it's a true rebirth because when you look at the closing moments of this particular show, the you know, Eo is one, she's vanquished the final boss. Everyone's kind of in the ring celebrating. You look at who's in the ring. And outside of Akyasakawa, who is literally having her very last match for six, seven years, she had a very last match on that show. Yep. She's out there bowing and everything. Everyone else in that ring is either the freedom who got built and established through this story arc, or it's the future of the company. It's Momo Otanabe. It's Starlight Kid. It's wrestlers that you're watching, at Jungle Kona, you're watching go, oh, I, I know what becomes of you. Yeah, I see, you, you are the future. And it's just the true rebirth of this company. Took took about you know, 11, 12 months from the, the real issues to kind of get to this point. But now the story can truly flourish. And, yeah, a lot of what we see in Stardom now kind of came from this story kind of giving it the legs and giving it the boost it needed after a tough period. Well, I think I think that wraps it up here on the Stardom Road podcast. This is, you know, I'm going to say one of our best episodes to date. I'll say it um, because I use a lot of comparisons to current. I feel like that's something I want to bring into the show mm. more because there are so many new fans kind of give like, okay, where are you maybe coming from? Where does this combine so that when you go back and watch it, you have something to reference. Mm. Um, and I mean, the Mako Satamore story in stardom. Yes. Like you said, there's more to it, but this is the bulk of it. This is yeah. the meat of it. It's the story we want to tell. So, Happy, happy we could do this. Happy, you know, Trent could guide the way. I think you did a phenomenal job. So, Trent, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at OneUpCulture. That's where all the stuff sort of comes out. Um, when you are listening to this, I'm not that far removed from having uh, my interview with Micah ahead of the Five Star Grand Prix going live. So be sure to check that out. We'll have a new episode of the Ocean Cyclone Show coming out later in the week which is always fun. Scott, myself, and Ryan, just being idiots, I think is the easiest way to sort of describe it. Um, if you like what we do here, but think, oh, there's there's potential for them to be make more dumb takes because we actually try and be nuanced. Yeah, here. we don't make takes on the show that much. No, no, we're, we're talking about history. We, we're revering history, but if you want to see us be stupid, which is arguably what we're better at, <laughs> it's a lot easier yeah. to make dumb comments than smart ones. And we do a lot of that on the Ocean Cyclone show. So be sure to check that out. Everyone can follow me at Scotty Wrestling on Twitter. If you don't already, uh, make sure to check out my five-star preview. If you haven't, I don't care if this thing's already started. It still breaks down the whole thing. You check out both. It's two-month tournament. You, you'll still be catching up. Let's be exactly. honest. Exactly. Check out my written preview on voiceofwrestling.com. Check Trent's out over at wrestlein.com. Both very different, so it gives you a little bit of everything. His mm-hmm. breaks down every competitor. Mine breaks down. It gives you the block, schedule, favorites, dark horses, matches to look out for. A little bit of everything. Stats and yeah. facts. I think that's a fun little thing, you know, that, that can help you kind of get up to date. And all the storylines going on. So if you're brand new to stardom, that might help, even though, you know, Trent will fully describe that if you want to go check that out, of course, like I said. Um, have an interview out with Sayori New over on Fightful.com if you want to hear that right ahead of the five-star Grand Prix. She explains why she joined Cosmic Angels, which I think was the best answer of any, you know, telling, mm. kind of explaining, oh, well, you know, 
saw Tam crying, and you could figure out the rest from there. Um, even though Tam was not crying, she was on the brink of crying, but she was not crying. Um, maybe, maybe she's crying just on the Tam. inside. Yeah, we know that. Uh, Tam cries a lot. Let's just admit it. Anyways, I'm sure there'll be much more from both of us. So make sure just to follow us on Twitter. Find out if I ever do the written piece to this. Yes, that is a good <laughs> trivia story. Go check wrestlein.com. Did the Mako Satamore article ever come out? Find out more next time. Uh, but but uh, we'll be back for the next episode of Stardom Road in two weeks if you're listening to this live. We're not going to tell you what it is yet because mm. maybe we don't know. Maybe we do. But well, I think maybe we're going to we keep do. it a secret. Yeah. We're going to keep it a secret. Got to keep you guessing. Yeah, but uh, thank you, everyone. Enjoy five-star grand preseason, and we'll be back next time right here on the Stardom Road on the Count Out Podcast Network. See ya! This has been a Count Out Podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Ring Post Radio is the only show hosted by Ryan Knightsey and Scotty Edwards that talks about the entire world of professional wrestling. With new episodes coming out every Sunday, there is absolutely no reason to not listen to real, honest wrestling opinions from two crazy maniacs. Have a hot boy summer and listen along to Ring Post Radio every Sunday on the Countout Network.